Brian Merriman's poem, Courts in Van Ehe, has remained popular and occasionally controversial, since it was first written about 1780. Translated many times since as The Midnight Court, the poem runs to well over a thousand lines. In the generation after its composition, it was described as curious, clever and somewhat immodest, as being of singular humour and sarcasm. It was banned in Ireland in its English translation during the 20th century, whereas the Irish-language original suffered no such censorship, being lauded in 1860 as being as fine a specimen of bardic composition as modern Gaelic ever produced, but a little licentious. So what's the continuing appeal of the Midnight Court? Where better to find out than at Skull Yevry Common Merryman, held in Bunratty, County Clare, to mark the 200th anniversary of the death of the poet Brian Merriman in 1805. Courtsin van Ehe was not only discussed, but performed. Bogename Shul, Likush Nahaun, Ervan Shakur, Sandruch, Gutraum, Inakin Gailze, Higaimant Lay, Ganwari Ganwai, Lerheil Shun Lay, the Yalach Machreen or Hinglach Grene, and Talavis and Tear is Eer Nespere, Tanevacht Eving, Sea of Nishlete, a Bagart again, Hargreen Michele. The Yalach on Creever Crean Lakienta, Katuk and Vri, no Lienta Fienta, and Shehlach Sharav Gan Shalav Gan Cyrus, Dechach Tamil, Harvaran Agailte, Erlachen Nascointe, Erhun Gan Kyo, is an Alla Eravoid, is he a Glushacht Low. Nehesh glamai regairi in orde, Persha im raiark, Gataivshak tarvrak. Dahan locha agus gorum na daun, Etacht, Gatolagach, Toranach traum. Vyak einle igrain, Gamairach mover, Is lemrach eilte igailte im chonger, Gamrach eirk is raiarker loite, Train regair is reinard rompe. It's lively poem. The language of the poem is lively. It's like when you get into a hurling game and the hurling game seems to take off into a kind of abandon. And people seem to be playing instinctively. Similarly, in a, great, a good traditional music session, there's a time when somehow or other the thing just lifts and there's a tremendous... The language of the Midnight Court, a court of Annie, is the very, very same. He was on a roll in parts of it and it's absolutely captivating and fabulous of itself. A great text. While the poem itself is a literary production written down, as we know... Um, more than likely, it got a life in um, oral tradition as well at the time. In other words, I, 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 I'd imagine that not only was it passed from scribe to scribe in written form, but was probably recited uh, from mouth to mouth as well and got into the oral stream of literature in, in, in that fashion. The first thing that strikes one is the literary achievement of it, both in the scope of, of its themes, but also in the amazing energy of language. It's uh, an example of the Irish language at, at a full flood uh, in, in the, the hands of a, a master of the language who had a, an ear for rhyme, for rhythm, and also to marry that to the ideas and, uh, that he wanted to express. It's, it's that perfect marriage of language and ideas. And uh, there's a gusto and, and, and an energy to it that strikes you straight away. Uh, Seamus Heaney spoke about how Merriman must have got the rhythm first of all and that it was that rhythm of those words set up a rhythm that he, he was able to tie into and, and maintain it for over a thousand lines and, and there's hardly there's not a faulty line in it 
So it's an, an amazing literary achievement for its own sake. The Midnight Court is representative of a non-English-speaking world, which was Ireland at the end of the 18th century, when the poem was first uh, was composed by Bian Merriman. And it also comes out from what you could call, I suppose... I don't like the word the pre-modern mindset, which is used by historians. I would, I would prefer to call it the medieval mind, which has a different attitude uh, to life. And what I would say is the, the court is a great humanist or human poem. It talks of um, matters which are difficult sometimes to speak about, but it ex- finds an acceptable way of speaking about human sexuality through the literary conceit, which is the tr- structure of the poem, which is there was a poet having a dream where he is summoned to a court to answer for his being of a certain age, uh, d'un certain age, as the French would say, and uh, still being single. And he is brought to this court uh, and accused by the woman of not being married and the eventual... Uh, what should you call it, outcome is that he's going to be crucified just as they would in medieval literature and tied to a tree and scourged etc and then he wakes up and during the poem the young woman uh, speaks in very carnal terms in one sense but in very acceptable and human terms because the metaphor that uh, the the focal point, the the point of entry, as it were, into the subject that Merriman finds uh, metaphorically in the poem, is it works. The basic on tales don feature lorich, nor tan if not ev ain't for grower, hangalum, pearlum wire gumanosa, ach asn of galate, but date clay and tostocht. But do hon fodder swishki see, smooty soolach, doishis lina. Lohani loag is goele kile, is gloony crooho forle ede. Cossa fioti do tongue jisig, is colin vrioti jioti china. Vut story bio, no fioch lia, it called a hort ve post Nor hortig fos for hole blien, ke buchalogi, fiol, nu esk. Son fiotach forsha suasle shinte, jote duet gan vua gan vega. Och ka vor ye bulla beaver and no son dulte urgahi. Ni doha could take a bishop of huntach, nor fos could glisher her luggle tundacht. On my maskloch karanor kuntash. Is dying a vacashi of Valor Tavuna. The people in this poem, in the same way as Rabelisian characters, are very comfortable in their own skins. And I think that's probably the most important outcome of the court. Also, to an un um, Irish literary person, you'd also say that the language of the poem, the actual musicality, the sound symbolism, of the poem itself in Irish works on the level of music rather than on the level of the um, the dictionary meaning of the words that he's using. And he'd sometimes use three, four different words meaning almost exactly the same thing. But the musicality of that poem is it enters into your subconscious in a way that doesn't go through the rational process. Is she tossed the yoing egg ogus a gaster? 
Gur Bralan sport goals a glachy. Immahine osters borga bleska. Er loren a loste, a postus enter. Badacha welte testus a tourisk. Badagar shredme a jognu a vorje. Bagalach legach berta gole. Gurachingim feltim yelkan tourisk. Fosni yeling, krach marvime. Doch lor gan efacht enge vuige. Ach maga nu greim gan feim gan heel. Gur aherische brangdom, deingach scheel. He's dealing with the relationships between men and women and all that that involves uh, of sexual attraction, sexual satisfaction, and then of um, establishing a life, establishing a relationship, marrying, having children. And at that time, of course, uh, it, it was the problem of of wanting to have children but wanting to have somewhere to bring them up. It's, it's, it's a <laughs> stare all the time and it's a problem still so that it has those, uh, those contemporary uh, echoes still for us all. Uh, it deals with things that, that are, uh, are persistent and, and, uh, in, in life and um, people can find, as it were, support and evidence for um, a more liberal attitude uh, than existed later in Ireland towards women and so on. The problems of property, problems of inheritance, of illegitimacy, uh, of the problem of celibate priests and the whole problem of celibacy that's, that's still a, a, a very lively matter for the Catholic Church. And in, in that way, it, it's relevant still. And as I said, all of those things, pe- people can find something there that would support a, a contemporary attitude. How we meet, how we pair off, how we settle down together, how we might have children together and raise families together before or after a marriage. Um, why, how, how people chose partners, how it happens. And, and, and in some cases in the 18th century, there were very real uh, difficulties maybe in choosing the partner or finding the partner you'd like. Um, because there was the matchmaking system in course of Clownish. Um, but you see, we believe in the concept, I suppose, of love and that people should let love drive the agenda and that love finds you your partner and that's enough but I suppose Merriman's saying well really love doesn't come into it really this is a, this is it's like the story that Michael J. Murphy had the folklorist when the, <clears throat> the woman goes into the room in the morning and says to the young woman in the bed get up Mary you're getting married today and uh, she says I'm, I'm married to who? that's none of your business <laughs> really it was a business you see so uh, getting married uh, under the matchmaking system and then people were trapped and they couldn't and all the Irish love songs as you know yourself many of the, the love songs put in the voice of the woman it's because she can't marry the person she really wants to marry and for many in many many instances is because she's not wearing a buff and she hasn't the spray. Cretan tower no tower free grogum, smeho lower, ho maul, ho brosa. Is das moveled, mo yeds morore? Is galmornes, tom maiden slotash? Is glass mohul, tom moolus corner? Bachelor bookler coopler forner? Molacus mornush can smooth gans morel? Tarring her comb her lunar scoffer? Mo fiib, mo vraad, mo laas mo verif, ik sier by vraad na haal jou hele. Fiech mo gaal, nog laur mo gna, nie me laum na kraal na stagach. Sje taal is kossig as kollen na gnaaslem, is on taal gesakker vak over na trachten. Nie soorle kale na schrangere mo name, ach stoere kalke ta tanevach brodas. Ni sreel na slid na lid gan foska, na smish de dishk gan sult gan sosef. Loosh de luffel na thicke gan eifacht, ach oig van skuffer hot hoffes is vedet. Some people have, have described Merriman as a proto-feminist, 
There's no doubt with that he uh, he shows a uh, great empathy for the uh, position of a certain class of woman in rural County Clare at the time. This was a, a class of woman who who was almost on the breadline. She didn't seem to have any permanent home, and she feared that she'd end up as a begging woman, walking the roads. I wouldn't say it is a an obscene poem, but it does deal with human sexuality in a very open fashion. This fashion was this 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 openness was probably was quite acceptable to um, an Irish-speaking audience or population in the latter stages of the 18th century, without a doubt. Uh, and the sort of prudishness that that um, entered into Irish life, say in the maybe the last quarter of the 19th century, simply didn't uh, exist in rural Munster. I'd say in the in the 18th century. Near Howard de Kegelt, no Kimelt, no Fosca, Fawada Hingen, the Hillen, no Sola. Is Nordum Adish Marhashi and Ehe, a Foscan Hnashtis, a Sharas, a Sheen, a Thakan and Yags and Tether Fuhe, a Ball of Gulers, a Deder Luxe, Colonid and Lake and Nail the Hude, a Gimberto Have got Have Segunfort. Na forest an lauer so lauer ter vno, scan finiv na chaum na cower na chno. Ma dimigan vowl vi traum na cho, skordinach an aulche gaumche port. A vil shunach er shliev na ieske droig, na fjuller le fiech na fieg le fon. Cho fada gan chiel le blie na lo, da chaf gan bie se viech le fall. For me it's primarily a poem of sexual anxiety, not of freedom. Freedom is discussed, freedom is talked about, but the attitude to freedom is one of fear. The whole poem filters through to us, through the mind of this first person speaker, whom I suppose we can call Merry Man. Uh, And there are other characters there too, um, the old man in particular and the young woman who speaks, as well as the, the, the goddess figure who's the judge and her guards. And where I see the anxiety in the poem is in, in particular, his relationship or his description of the other characters. The women in particular are very threatening to him. They are very often beautiful. The young woman who speaks is certainly beautiful. But she is sort of unraveled or unwound later on by showing that she's in a way bogus, that she isn't. Is that her beauty is skin deep, um, that she is a sham, that she is pretending to be uh, more sophisticated and, and indeed more wealthy than she really is. Evil herself is, although beautiful, surrounded by threatening women. Her guards are terrifying and the, the person, the, 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 the woman she sent to uh, haul Merriman off to the court in the first instance is completely threatening, castrating woman. In addition, the judgment she hands down at the end is shocking. Um, it's effectively a scourging. It would almost suggest a type of sadomasochistic sexual fantasy were it not for the fact that I can really find very little signs of, of pleasure um, I don't really think that Merriman or the I person, the I voice in the poem is enjoying it too much. It seems to be really the working out of, of great fear. 
as regards the man and the poem, what brought the man to the poem or how, how it was that the poem was composed, we, we have um, quite a lot of contemporary evidence uh, or sources uh, on literary activity in County Clare around the years 1770-1780. And uh, we have very firm evidence for the existence of a school of poetry, a court eggshire or filichta in Ennis uh, in the year 1780. In fact, the poets who, um, who gathered at this um, Skolegshu drew up a list of rules which would govern the proceedings. And uh, the, that list survived and was published some years ago by the late Professor Brian O'Keeve. Now, there are certain rules laid down there that can be referred uh, or that can be related to the composition of Kortenvanihe itself. So... It is reasonable to conclude that Merriman was probably associated with that Ennis school of poetry as well around the year 1780, and that was the work of that school probably gave him the immediate impulse to actually compose and write down the poem, let's say. And it seems to me that um, Brian Merriman probably composed his poem and wrote it down and brought it to one of these um, literary sessions in Ennis in the year uh, 1780. The printing press wasn't available to Irish, let's say, right through the whole of the 19th century, except for some um, devotional texts and maybe texts by various religious groupings and so forth. Um, and even printed books in Irish in the 19th century <coughs> wouldn't have been, because of their association maybe with Protestantism and something else, would not have been read by the, the, the Roman Catholic population who had Irish. And so therefore, uh, much like the medieval times, as a text which was kind of, um, which uh, scholars and scribes and others uh, would uh, pass around amongst themselves and would... would 
would really enjoy almost like like you hear about certain kind of books that are passed around in gentlemen's clubs kind of thing that not quite but uh, uh, in the 19th century uh, forbidden texts from India and places like this you know with uh, that that, uh, you, that you have this kind of a feel about it that, that uh, scribes uh, really liked to get their hands on a copy to write it out and to have a copy for themselves so it was disseminated uh, among um, Irish scholars who Irishians as they used to call them in County Limerick but Irish scholars who uh, wrote uh, manuscripts and so forth it was a favourite text it was like oh, I don't know you might want to uh, you'd want to have your own personal collection of favourite poems or stories or whatever else you might want uh, and in their case certainly Cortivani who was one of the top ten near an edition one of the earliest things that was said uh, around the translation by Donacha Wolf, Dennis Wolf, who did the very first translation, guy from Six Mile Bridge, so um, a neighbour of Mary Vance, who obviously probably knew him, and he said this facetious and humorous poem is what he called it. So right from the beginning, it had this sense. And when we read about Irish literature, particularly before, you know, before the famine and before what came, what came even in the years just before the famine, when things were getting bad, you do get a, a sense from travellers in Ireland and you get a sense in the literature that there was a lot of fun around, that there was a great sense of life, which obviously was killed with the um, with the famine and in some ways with the puritanical growth of a particular kind of puritanical church, which wasn't always that way, but which happened to grow with the Anglicisation of the Irish church by Puritan England in the in the 19th century. I think that that did happen. There's a particular piece uh, in the poem when first of all a young woman speaks and says that she she really needs assistance she's she would like to get a, a man really she'd like to get married and then an older man uh, gets up and really tears te- stripes off her and uh, does as men do in courts as you know yourself um take away her good name well then she really goes at him uh, in 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 a variety of ways but really in the carnal way that she you know he was no good for anything anyway and uh this is done rather um, uh, graphically, as it were, or said rather graphically. Of course, it's not shown at all. It's a poem, after all, and it'll be read on the radio, as it were. Uh, but um, it's uh, uh, that part, because of that and, and that reputation that the Midnight Court had uh, uh, that, uh, amongst a certain generation, particularly maybe the guardians of the public morals, uh, we, said they couldn't, we couldn't possibly celebrate that, that, that kind of thing or be seen to celebrate that kind of thing. And I think one of the ways to look at the poem is to look at it as a kind of a play, a drama, in a sense, because we didn't have too much much native Irish drama, certainly not in the 18th century. And therefore, this was a way of people to have a performance. And a great deal of the best writing, whether it's a Schielfinicht, a Fenian tale, whether it's a long, whether it's a long poem, whether it's a short lyric poem, a great deal of literature is performance. And I think what Merriman was trying to do was to show how good he could be up against everybody else and to use all the ingredients that was around him at the time. And in particular, his own great sense of fun because even though we know very little about Brian Merriman I have no doubt that he was a guy who really really enjoyed life and if you look at um, 
the other, only two other bits of writing that we have by him uh, on Vakala and on Putin, which are two marvellously mad poems, which in some ways one can make very, very little sense of. Uh, but what we, the only sense we can make of them is that, yeah, Merriman was a guy who was a, maybe a bit of a rake or pretended he was a bit of a rake, who obviously liked great company, who went out and about. He was also very bright uh, because he was very humorous, which is the same thing in many ways. And uh, he obviously enjoyed himself and he obviously just let it fly. So he was having a bit of fun at his own expense and at all our expense as well. And if you were somebody in 1780 sitting at a court at a poetry council or a poetry meeting at that time with this poem being read by Merriman or by, by his friends uh, I am sure it would have been uh, accompanied by gales of laughter and howls of laughter and I could imagine as people often do at a music session or at a Chanot session where they're, you know, as they say in America making whoopee and just simply enjoying it and that is my, uh, that is my idea of it well, there's certainly a tradition of racy literature in Irish in which sexuality is dealt with um, explicitly, though sometimes with a covering metaphor. Uh, and certainly it's dealt with in terms which are which turn it into a bit of a joke very often. And there is an element of that in the Midnight Court. But in addition, what happens in the court is that you have characters approving morally of behaving in ways that the church would disapprove of. In other words, it's not just um, a tormented young man describing his sexual attraction to whoever was the love of his life and saying, well, I have to go along with this, I am smitten. This is actually going so far as to approve of it and to take issue, to go against the Catholic Church's um, prohibitions, in particular on sexual activity outside of marriage. It, it seems to be a nestling poem when it starts but soon you're disabused of its being a, a nationling and you find that Merriman is taking up an attitude that, that's completely at variance with the attitude of poets who, who composed traditional love and political uh, Ashling E. It's a dream in which the poet dreams that he's brought along to a, a court that's in session in in, in, in Fiacle in County Clare and that is being being presided over by a member of the of the other world, the Shivan, a fairy woman from the uh, other world. While it is called a court, it actually takes the form of, of a sort of a a parliamentary debate in that you have people speaking, making contributions as they would from the floor of a parliament house, say, in, in Dublin or, or London. A woman argues, a man replies, and the woman argues again. The fairy judge gives her judgment, and the um, judgment is almost implemented, the judgment being that the poet be punished for his transgressions, sins of omission, let's say. Now, the debate is concerned with um, relationships between men and women. The young woman complains that she's finding it hard to get a husband, uh, despite her best efforts. The man replies that she's a, a typical, that she's a very rapacious woman, out to get a husband, typical of the sort of woman that he says is, uh, is so prevalent in his time. And uh, he cites the uh, the case of a neighbour of his who who was uh, who was married to one of that type of, of of woman who had very unfortunate experiences. And then he cites his own history, uh, how he fell in love, uh, got married, and then to his horror he discovers that his wife is pregnant. Rimres, he says, uh, it is ambiguous. 
tis either before her time was up or that she was impregnated before she married him, before he had anything to do with her. Near Hursi Lewis, not door than Brege, door Panyum Gunur Glehe, Ach Lauren Verte Gartes Nefort, Vraunchi Mach, Evad Rivrerum. And then the poet, or the poem reach, uh, reaches a sort of a, a climax in the middle of the old man's speech when he recalls the night uh, on which the child was born to his wife. And some of the neighbours were arguing that the child had been born prematurely, that the, the, the mother had got a bit of a knock or something, and that's what brought on the premature birth. But he examines the, the baby and finds, finds not that the child is, was premature, but is actually a fully developed, full-term baby, without a doubt. And then he's so impressed by the uh, physical characteristics and, and health of this child that he argues his whole attitude to life metamorphizes from being a stolid, conservative, um, middle-class uh, rural man, well-off, uh, to um, a radical. He, he calls for the complete uh, abandonment of, of marriage as a, as, a, as a civil institution and that people will have free will, ser hull, to copulate. And uh, in that fashion, a... Another complaint that was made at the initial stages of the poem will be addressed. That is that the, the falling population will start to rise again when people copulate freely of their own free will and, and, and in a natural, spontaneous fashion. Uh, and that this will produce um, uh, a generation uh, of men and women in, in Ireland uh, who will emulate the heroes of old. Leshin, na Melag Maria le real gan efacht. Squeal a holler gan hochel gan chirach. Sheel on vodig is on vogelil vitach. Squeal fa hele, drer na dura. On shielvach sheer is on brain la bura. Foger feltach, tregach tierer. Dogas dresta, ser heil shielrig. Quirigant leisha, gleeshing olive. Is tukigan bri marvina lachiv. Capuche calm as drum as dorne. Eg fervan dawin, mar gaul mak morne. Galligan speer, beg eeske leante. Is talvan tlege leer fa luyane. Firgs monaga brach da vihin. Eg shinem da chayl, le gardus evenish. Then the woman replies to him, saying that he was an impotent old man and that he couldn't sexually satisfi- satisfy his young wife. So she went outside the bonds of marriage and took pleasure outside of them. And uh, she argues and she, she defends the woman who took, who took that course of action. She also uh, rounds on the priests, pointing to them as a, a very valuable source of uh, fecundity and sexual pleasure. And she simply can't um, fathom as to, why not they're, as to why they're not allowed to marry. Is mehit dom chrive lien to lehe? Is mungan tos chigas muin to boyhe? Cartaver squito, huirer kele, in that glashincher, see in the clare. Mohrogan lies my shied o' mosca, is lauder mine is lied moroike, is made the meemer digan ain is me an or grief of neem the hede. Nach bochten reirk the weiden rover, thirstis tivesha miles im Bloske neige geseilchen ore, Körpis keimis teil ertäufle, Udech dolecht blaas oge, 
Rudes Knoss mögen fjole. Martes Traum ist Traum ganz suhe. Nacht gan daut ist faun gan fuhre. Bin schalab gach soker wort no suhe. Aragas or homolis evenisch. Kluf hum laieke seil hum biegeke. Plures meitschicht meires fiente. Is gnoche komme so homme doch hoget. Stois so gönnecker füllis gerfjoliet. Kunig lacken le kafferi keilte. Snuri galer na schari ganseilche. Ach marli botache tolleri trene. Et davi cholletes ober gandenef. Then she finishes and the, the judge stands up to, to give her verdict. Now, while there's a lot of radical attitudinizing in the poem, the judgment is, is, is quite conservative. And it probably reflects Merriman's innate conservatism as, a, again, a middle-class country schoolmaster. He had these radical ideas, but they exist only in the poem. I'm not sure if he actually believed them. Uh, even if he had the power to do so, would he actually implement them? Did he really believe that the institution of marriage should, should be abandoned? So the judgment is, is, is marked by its conservatism. The priests uh, should not be allowed married, or at least the people should be patient and wait till the Pope discusses it. The institutions of, of marriage are defended, but th- there's some sort of elasticity or latitude allowed. In other words, that... Say, if a young woman is married to a, an older man and if she gets pregnant by somebody outside of that marriage union, that people shouldn't fuss. And that the old man, the older man or older couple should, should see after a young woman in that position. In other words, that the child born should be given the man of the house's name and that there shouldn't be too much of a fuss about it. Um, I think the illustration of the sexual mores of some priests as articulated by the woman in her second speech probably corresponds in some way to this latitude that's argued for. The logic being that, look, if priests are straying from their vows of chastity, we shouldn't be too harsh on young women who stray outside of the marriage bond. So, um, what sauce for the goose is sauce for the gander, if you, if you can put it that way. Ach, the maid, Mark Lee, the vehe. An schacht fóthrí gan cuirach caile, harint ar chiawn go town gan throa, is a chiangal dan chraunsha a daunt an thuama. Winnigi laum de a chaul sa chóta, is fanagi a chraum sa chaum le corda. An chydica har le baitim leanta, is chelan go thair an thar na tirpa, chyris a moog an suchas deing ye bullin a hoo is loan yeaga, vela sa gael, is fáil ar vnaíaca, a fehev gan fá ar vár na críve. Fág em fúfse túnskult páse a vnána dúla, dúch le dálgas. Capagí fír niv tíntis thárnav, caigí smíntis íntslacht manáles. Carig vór górle górle chéle, is tógum se cóchta an fórsa ienav. Ferem gan spástíf páis na gíntach, is Belglum Bas gan Barhin Piendov. Merriman, of course, admits to being 30 years of age in the poem, and he's to be severely chastised for not being married at that age. Now, this is interesting because it seems to me that while much of the discussion in the poem itself has very clear implications for society and for social policy, for the institutions of marriage and so on, priestly celibacy, 
But in the end, the the poem centres on Merriman himself. And following the course of the dream that turns into a nightmare that revolves on the individual who's who's dreaming it, Merriman becomes the the object of the court in the end, and the, the judgment uh, is directed at him for not being married. So it seems to me that maybe not only do these social questions about marriage and dowries and, and so on uh, excite Merriman, but he, he, he also had qualms or he had scruples about not being married at the age of 30, which would have been considered old in, in the year seven, uh, 1780. And the, the poem concludes when justice he's to be punished very severely, he's to be flogged by the women of the court, he awakes from the dream and the, the, the curtain comes down. Glocken she am town is my hound so soite, er agla nounte is scanra and voilte, an agatavishi is grieven daute, is mahavantik is seater garden, scaras lemnail, the reas mahule, is frabus the lame on bane, im hoshacht. Well, it was, of course, copied in manuscript all over the place, and there are numerous, I can't remember how many, was it 80 or some number like that? I heard manuscripts throughout the country. And then uh, there was uh, the first printed edition, I think, was by Jean O'Dalig around, he died in 1878, so I think that was about 1860, uh, and uh, with the title in Latin. And uh, then... It was there was a translation a hundred years ago exactly by the, um, the German scholar uh, Ludwig Stern uh, into German and uh, with a good edition of the apparently uh, of the poem itself. Uh, it had been um, translated by various people, starting off at Donacher Wolf of Six Mile Bridge, and then it had been uh, translated by a whole number of people, Lord Longford and Frank O'Connor and uh, Thomas Kinsler, Brendan Bean, although a lot of that is lost. Uh, He read it one night, I think, in some bar in Dublin, I can't remember which, and uh, lost it almost immediately, but some of it is in print somewhere. And then the the, the translation between Coslet O'Queen did a very good one, and um, Arnold Usher, and there are about ten, at least, translations available. I'm sure that will continue. I see Kieran Carson is to bring out a new version, as it were. Not, not, not a new edition, but a new version of the poem itself. There was a big dispute um, over Frank O'Connor's translation when it came out during the war, the Second World War, and of course, as we know, it was banned. And for many years, people, uh, well, over a couple of months in the Irish Times, there was a big dispute as to why this poem was banned. And some people were simply saying it was a dirty poem, and other people said it was filthy, and other people said it was great fun. So I think Puritan Ireland kind of got to got to grips with it and saw things in it that only a Puritan mind can see. On the other hand, I think that people like Frank O'Connor were using it as a kind of a stick to beat Puritan Ireland with. So Merriman was being used in the cultural wars that we often have. Um, you can never read a poem uh, exactly as it was read 
1780. That is simply not possible because we bring all that kind of baggage with us. But I do think also amongst Irish scholars, there was a sense in which uh, Irish literature in the 19th century, with some exceptions, had been reduced to songs in a way. And no matter, and there are some great songs and some fabulous songs, but you cannot build a literature on songs alone and you cannot build a literature entirely on little lyric poems no matter how beautiful they are and if you look at with say Sean Otoba and Thomas Kinsel is undoing it there's some wonderful small pieces in it but literature also has a need of something big some kind of a gashka somebody who is in a sense showing off and I think people grasped Merriman to some extent to say look we were able to do this also and if things had worked out better if we hadn't been worsted in the game to use the phrase we could have really built on this and done great things in the 19th century uh, and indeed in the 20th century even though I think there was a problem in the 20th century as Martin O'Kine famously said about Coote and Vanier that nobody would ever be able to write that kind of Irish again Uh, I noticed for example in the introduction to Kieran Carson's new translation of the poem, which is very, very interesting, uh, where he's saying that the Irish must have been on decline, in decline in County Clare, even in Merriman's time. I doubt that. It may have been in some places, because this is Irish at its supreme apex, and I think there is no sign whatsoever of the language being weakened or being watered down, and I think that that is one of its strengths, that we see what the possibilities of Irish literature were, possibilities that have, to some extent, passed us by, but not entirely. Helping us discover the appeal of the Midnight Court were Ono Hanluin, Liam O'Doherty, Garoid Denver, Jermyn Branagh, Liam Pio Murahu, Alan Titley, and Maureenie Amraheim. The excerpts from the poem were read for us by Ono Hanluin, Audrey Niaril, Alan Titley, and Didden Nivrian. Sound supervision for the programme was by Mark McGrath. The appeal of the Midnight Court was presented and produced by Cahill Porter.